0: Well, good morning. I can't believe that I'm finally standing here with you today, but I am so glad to be with you. I'm so glad to be sharing with you from the psalms as part of our summer series. This series has challenged me to grow in my own life of prayer. And so I'm so glad to be walking alongside you and exploring a new psalm uh, again with us today. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you'll know that we've called this series Grown Up Prayers we've been looking at how the book of Psalms can help us pray and really help us grow up in our prayer lives. In this series, we've learned that prayers don't need to sound the same all the time. We shouldn't become a different person when we pray. Prayer involves confession and telling the truth about who God is and about who we are. The idea is that prayer is this gift, that helps us grow in our relationship with God. And the Psalms really give us many ways to be honest about the human experience. But if you're at all like me, sometimes prayer can just feel like another thing to do, another item on a long to-do list, another task that God asks of me, like a demanding boss who's watching my every move. When you think of prayer, does it sometimes feel like a burden to you? Sometimes the temptation is for me to believe that if I'm going to pray, I need to become a prayer expert, to know all the right things to say and in what order to say them. Or maybe for you, you feel that if you pray, God will give you more work to do. After all, there's always more work to be done in God's kingdom. So if you're already feeling tired, overburdened, and overbusy, this might make you avoid prayer altogether. And it's true, prayer and many of the prayers that we find in the psalms often encourage us to take action to, against injustice and towards doing good in the world. But there are other psalms that invite us not to take action, but to slow down. Have you ever considered that sometimes God, unlike a relentless taskmaster, instead of asking us to do more, actually invites us to slow down, maybe even do less? Psalm 127 is a prayer that helps us with that, and this is the psalm I want to look at together with you today. Uh, But to be honest, when I think of this psalm, I think of a time in my life where I approached prayer as another to-do, and I had a pretty embarrassing moment instead. As Dom mentioned, I did some studies in theology, and as part of um, a class that I took on Christian spirituality, we were required to take a retreat for 24 hours to focus on prayer, a silent retreat, where we had nothing but our Bible and a journal, and we were meant to spend this time in a quiet area and just pray for 24 hours. So off I went. I packed up my things and I was prepared to have this wonderful spiritual experience. And if you know me, you'll know that I'm a pretty high achiever. So I was set on praying and journaling the whole time and definitely getting an A on the paper that we were supposed to write about our experience. However, much to my surprise, something totally unexpected happened. About an hour into my quiet time, I fell asleep and it wasn't just a 20 or 30 minute nap. This was a good three or four hours. So I ended up failing the course. I'm kidding. I didn't fail the course. But I was feeling pretty nervous because we had to turn in that paper about our time. And it was right for me to be feeling nervous. I mean, wasn't my professor going to be disappointed? Wasn't God already disappointed? Have you ever fallen asleep while praying? Did you feel a bit guilty? But anyways, I decided to be honest and I wrote about how I had fallen asleep, hoping that I wouldn't be scolded by my professor. And when I got the paper back, I was surprised by what I found written in the margin. My professor had written a part of Psalm 127, Bethany, the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. You'll see it written. Oh, I took a picture of the paper. To be honest, I had never seen this verse before, and I was kind of shocked. God gives sleep to those he loves? We know that everyone sleeps and that God loves us all, but have you ever stopped to consider that sometimes God's desire is not for us to do more, but to rest more? In my own Christian life, I'd kind of bought into the narrative that God needs us to do a lot of things, to read our our Bibles every day, to do kind things for others, to go to church, to pray. I remember praying for God's will, expecting that God would ask me to move across the country or sell all my possessions. In my mind, the best things to do for God were big things. I could never imagine that God would simply invite me to take a nap. Can you imagine that? When you consider the culture we live in today, our general hesitation to rest really isn't a surprise. Even though the idea of slowing down is appealing, you can find tons of quotes and books about how good it is to rest. It's kind of unreasonable, even impossible to work this into our schedules. There is just so much to do and we need to hustle and we wanna do things better and faster. Maybe like me, you find it easier not to rest but to work harder instead. Instead of a nap, it'd be better to get one more thing done. Maybe you feel this as you lead a business or try to land your dream job. If I just do this one more thing, everything will be okay. But these pressures are often fueled because we don't believe that God is interested in giving us rest. So as I mentioned, Psalm 127 is a prayer that helps us with it, with this. It helps us grow up. It gives us an, a more accurate picture of who God is. Learning to pray with this psalm, Learning to pray to the God who gives sleep to those he loves helps restore our true identity, people who are marked by God's gifts of rest. So let's take a look at Psalm 127. And while we don't do this all the time, I want to start by reading the whole psalm for us to hear. If you've been part of any of our classes on the Bible, you'll know that that's how the scriptures were first presented to their hearers, by listening. So I just invite you to listen as I read. It's only five verses, and you'll see it come up on the screen. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So what did you notice as I read that psalm? Maybe that last part about children is a bit confusing. Like, why does the writer go from talking about building to talking about children? Or maybe certain words stood out to you as I read, like toil or reward. Overall, maybe you sensed a flow as I read it. It kind of reiterates the idea that somehow, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches, our work is pointless. It confronts our temptation to believe that God only wants us to do things. One important thing that helps us to read and pray this psalm is to learn that it is a psalm of Solomon. So this doesn't mean for sure that Solomon wrote the psalm, but what we can gather is is that it is somehow linked to him, maybe written for him or with him in mind. And even if you didn't grow up in church or you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you've likely heard of King Solomon. He was the son of Israel's most famous king, King David, and was known both for his exceptional wealth and his wisdom. When we see that this psalm has something to do with King Solomon, the word wisdom should come to mind. We would be wise to listen and pray with this psalm. But another contextual element that helps us read and pray this psalm is to know that Solomon was a prolific builder. He was productive. He was a doer. He built himself an enormous house and numerous other palaces and helped fortify the walls of Jerusalem. And he was primarily known for building the first temple, and I have a picture of it just so you can imagine its scope. This was a monumental project. You can see the tiny people. It took years, seven years to build, tons of material, tons of financial backing and manpower. Solomon, the builder, was familiar with how gratifying it is to do good and important work, especially good and important work for God. But from this psalm, we can also see that he knew how easy it is when we're doing our work and being productive to become convinced that our value lies in what and how much we can do. And so perhaps during the course of his many building projects, he would have been moved to write this prayer. Solomon would have known that even when it seems like we're being productive, we can get disoriented. We need a way to put God at the center as we produce, as we build, as we parent as we study. We need a prayer that helps us remember that the work we do is not really about us. So let's go back to the first line of Solomon's prayer. It reads, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So first off, it would be easy to come to the wrong conclusion here. Solomon isn't after a let go, let God approach, as though because God is at work, we don't need to be. Rather, throughout the Bible, we find quite the opposite. Hard work honors God. In the book of Genesis, we find that from the beginning of creation, humans were entrusted with good work to do. Throughout the Proverbs, we find that working is good. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. We're not made to take it easy or slack. We are made to work. However, it's also easy to go to the other extreme and let our work become our source of identity, where what we do and how much we do is deeply tied to who we are. This is where we find the temptation to become workaholics, where so many people experience burnout. Suddenly, we're immersed in checking emails after hours. We don't have as many hobbies as we used to. Or when work slows down, perhaps in retirement or over summer hours, or because of sickness, we become a little nervous we start to feel adrift. Our approach to work will hinder us when we become convinced that our success is tied to what we do. I think of my own work in this season as a mother, primarily. If I'm not careful, I can get lost in what I think I need to do in order to be a good mom. I think if I don't keep up with the house, or if I'm not homeschooling, or if I'm not providing constant entertainment for my kids, I'm failing as a mom. How do you know when you've made work the source of your identity? Maybe losing your job would be devastating because it would affect your reputation. What would people think of you? Maybe you're a student and getting anything less than perfect grades would be a total failure. It might make you wonder if you're smart enough. And by the way, this happens in church too. We can get so tied to a ministry or a role that we've done for years and we can't let it go. If we were to, we wouldn't know who we are. Solomon knows that we tend towards this extreme in our work lives, and so he reminds us, unless the Lord. These words are meant to slow us down, help us prayerfully remember that God works before we work. In a sense, God has always been working. From the beginning of the biblical record, he is creating, he is sustaining. Ultimately, it is God who works and we who participate in his work. So when it comes to the way that we work, does our pace reveal that belief that God is already working? Or do we believe that we need to do it all? You might remember the story of Mary and Martha, two sisters who knew Jesus well. When Jesus spends time with them, Martha is running around, cleaning the house, cooking the meal. She is this picture of this need to do more for God. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says that she is doing the more important thing, just being in his presence. And to be honest, I always felt kind of suspicious of this story. Like, if Mary is just sitting there, how are things going to get done? But Jesus isn't worried. Maybe you believe that just because you have enough energy at the moment, you should keep going. Like, it's all right, I've got this. But what happens in our lives if we continue to work in this way? What happens if we work and work with no end in sight? Let's read the next verse. It says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. The thing is, is that when we believe it is us who keep the world turning, it is our work that keeps things under control, we start to engage in what the psalmist calls toil. Toil refers to this idea of work gone wrong rising up early, staying up late, filling the margins of our days with more and more activity to keep things going our way. A helpful picture of this might be to think of a student frantically studying for an exam and desperate to get a top mark. It's so easy to think that cramming will get us the A that we want. So we rise early and stay up late trying to get it all in. I'm sure you can picture a student in your life around exam time. Messy, a bit dirty, dirty laundry, in need of a good meal and some sleep. We can practically run ourselves to the ground, make ourselves sick, striving to get ahead. Toil is especially easy to succumb to today where our culture surrounds us with material markers of success. A bigger house or a nicer car become achievements that signal a successful life. We take on side hustles and work longer hours. We believe that we can and should have it all, no matter the cost, even if it means not sleeping. Often we hope that by working more, it'll help everything turn out better. But most of the time, it gets worse. But thankfully, there is good news for us here. God has a solution for our anxious toil. But it's often not to give us superhuman strength that helps us get everything done. There's not really a divine energy drink that helps us do all the things. While God does promise us strength to do the things he calls us to do, this strength often comes in an unexpected way. Often, God's solution for the problem of anxious toil is to invite us to sleep. Again, in that verse we read, For the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. Sleep, in this way, is a symbol of God's generosity. It is the gift of giving up control for hours at a time, secure in the knowledge that when we're not working, when we're sleeping, he is still taking care of us. Sleep is a daily opportunity to trust that God's love for us isn't based on how much we do for him. During one of his teachings, Jesus shares this great image, and you'll see it on the slide. He says, Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. Other translations use toil. They don't toil or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Flowers don't toil. That may sound silly to say, but Jesus uses it to shock us a bit. Jesus cares even for the flowers who do no work to become beautiful. They are not productive or toiling feverishly in order to grow. And yet we so often try to take over the reins of our lives, in a sense trying to grow ourselves, proving our worth and beauty by how much we produce and do and work. In this way, sleep or rest becomes a daily gift to us, reminding us of the bigger picture, that we can cease our anxious toil and still be cared for by God. I can remember an earlier time in my life where I wished I had known this prayer. I had a season as a student where it seemed like new and once-in-a-lifetime opportunities were everywhere, and I had to say yes to all of them. I filled my schedule to the brim. Not only was I taking a full course load, but I'd been, at, I'd been given a part-time role at a nonprofit. A professor had asked me to be a research assistant. I was involved in the student group on campus and I had new friendships to grow. I became convinced that if I didn't do it all, I would miss out. I even judged people who weren't doing as much as me. It was a very, also a very stressful time for me though. I felt like I couldn't say no or I would miss out on these new opportunities. Now, looking back, I wish I'd had the wisdom to know and to pray for God's sleep. I wish I'd known that God gives sleep to those he loves. I wish I'd been able to pray, secure in the knowledge that God provides for us, even when we create margin and space in our lives, when we slow down. Are there areas of your life and work where you recognize feelings of being frantic or anxious, needing to take control? How would you shift your pace if you remembered that the Lord gives sleep to those he loves? Perhaps we're tempted to overfill our schedules, or maybe on the flip side, we need to remember that sometimes the best thing we can do in our spiritual lives is just take a nap. The Lord gives sleep to those he loves. The psalm ends with a kind of odd kicker and another unexpected way that God helps us as we face the temptation to toil anxiously. Let's read verse 3 on the slide. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from Him. Another translation puts it Don't you see that children are God's best gift? Right after all this talk about the gift of sleep, we read about children. And I don't know about you, but even if you don't have children, you know that sleep and kids aren't a natural combination. In fact, they're kind of an oxymoron. I know my, my own was up a lot last night. So what is going on here? First, I want to emphasize that this section about children is not a write-off for people who don't have kids, who can't have kids. We have to look at what the text meant in its ancient context. In Bible times, and still in many cultures around the world, kids were considered a precious gift of God. Throughout Israel's history, the desire for children and the joy of having children were often emphasized as ways that God blessed his people. Think of Abraham and Sarah, people who God blessed with a child. On a practical level, being given children, and especially sons, meant that God was taking care of you. At the end of the psalm, it says that people who are blessed with children will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. If you had many sons, and especially many sons in your youth, they would protect you and advocate for you long into your later years. For the ancient people of Israel, children served as a sign of God's care, and the same remains true for us today. In contrast to the anxious toil that can build houses and cities, the psalmist highlights the gift of children, things that we actually don't do very much to get. Children are forever a symbol of something that we actually can't work hard for. They are pure gift. In in this way, children are a constant reminder that God is the builder. God is the protector. God is the source of the good things in our lives. But there's another way that children bless us in a culture that champions speed and hustle and accomplishment. Much like the gift of sleep, God's gift of children is an invitation to slow down and rethink our constant pursuit of doing more. I don't know if you've ever tried to leave your house with a child in the morning, but it's a real eye-opener to your own personal need to start the day and get on with things. Like, why does it take my middle child 30 minutes to put on his shoes and then he only has one shoe on? Like where is the other one? Children create messes and can't manage their emotions and need help to go to the bathroom. They slow us down. Our obsession with doing more and more stands in stark contrast to the gift of children. In fact, children are a gift that inherently slow us down, demand that we slow our pace. So as part of a prayer that helps us to put God at the center of our lives, the psalmist points to the great gift of children. They are a significant symbol of God's invitation for us to slow down enough to be aware of the many things in our lives that we don't work hard to achieve, but that are rather God's gifts to us. So even if you aren't a biological parent, there's a lesson for all of us in the symbol of children. Maybe you can think of a time when a meal was delivered to your home in a time of crisis. Maybe a financial gift showed up unexpectedly just when you needed it. Maybe you heard a word of encouragement from someone just as you were about to give up. These are things that we can't work hard to get. These are gifts of God. In fact, when we're so preoccupied with getting, so lost in toiling anxiously, we might actually miss out on them. So how might God be trying to get your attention with unexpected gifts? How might prayerfully remembering that children are a heritage from the Lord help you reframe your vision of a life lived successfully? As I close, I want to share one more thing. This psalm belongs to a group of psalms called the Psalms of Essence. I, I have a picture there to help you uh, imagine it, that these psalms would have been prayed by a group of traveling pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for one of the holy feasts. A key feature of the Psalms of Ascents is that they were likely sung communally, much like the songs that we sing together in church. So what does this mean? we are meant to pray this psalm in particular for and with others. It's much easier to work harder than it is to accept God's invitation to rest. What's more, it can be easy to disguise or hide our impulse to work feverishly from others while insisting that we do trust God. We need people in our lives who are familiar with this prayer and who will point out our limits and point us to God's generosity. We need a community who will notice when we've made work the source of our identity. We need others who will say to us, hey, the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. You don't need to run yourself down. Or maybe to a new parent, children are a reward. We need others to remind us of these words and to pray for each other when we need to slow our pace. Jesus, as one who prayed this psalm, ultimately summed it up when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and i will give you rest will we trust Jesus enough to go to him in prayer today is it possible that instead of more to do he might actually just give us the rest that we need can we be a church who builds our lives not like the world teaches us frantically without limits but in a way that is guided by the rest that Jesus gives us Are we able to recognize that God may be slowing us down and helping us to trust Him in ways that we never expected? This psalm challenges us to consider that there is a way of raising our kids, building our businesses, succeeding in our careers, even praying, that in the end becomes pointless because we've failed to trust in God's deep generosity and care for us. And without this trust, we risk wearing ourselves out. Maybe one of the best ways that we can share the good news of Jesus with others is to be people who have learned to pray the prayer of Psalm 127 and are free to live lives marked by his rest. I want to invite us to pray together. Father God, today we affirm that you are the builder. You are the protector. You are the one who takes care of us. We confess that so often we are prone to toil anxiously. We think that our work depends on us. We find our worth in what we do and not in who you say we are. Thank you for offering us a way out of the cycle of endless toil. Thank you for the rest that we find in sleep, in children, and ultimately in Jesus. Help us this week to receive your invitation to rest.
1: close here, why don't we all stand together. We'll just sing this one song as a reminder of who God is, that He is holy, He is righteous, He is faithful, and we are secure in Him. It's a beautiful place to be. Let's sing it together. Standing here in your presence thinking of the good things you Have done waiting here patiently just to hear
0: still small voice again, holy,
1: righteous, faithful. Maybe you sensed Jesus calling you to a better understanding of rest. Bethany, I told you Jesus would be with you, and we sensed that he was. Just close your eyes. Think about Jesus saying to you what this prayer and this psalm invited us to believe that unless Jesus is the center of your plans, you will never trust him to rest. You trust Jesus enough to just rest. As Bethany shared, I had a moment of confession because I thought about when we started the church and how stressed I was about so many things going wrong. I wish I had, had Bethany preached that earlier to me. and I invite you all this week to maybe slow down and just reread that psalm again. Just read it again, just slowly. And ask God to maybe show you areas of your life that you need to really recommit to Him so that you would start to believe that sleep is a gift, not a hindrance to the things that God wants to give you. Sleep is this great reminder that God doesn't really need you or me. But he invites us to participate in what he's doing. Maybe you're watching online and you're just feeling overwhelmed as well as you drive, as you work out, as just whatever is going on. This is such a a wise, prayerful psalm for us. And before I pray, can we just thank Bethany for being so faithful and sharing? Thank you, Bethany. We can all now regularly ask her if she's sleeping and if her kids are driving her crazy. <laughs> but we know that it's, it's, it's a habit of the heart. And so we pray that you're kind of taking this season of reading the Psalms with us. I just wanna tell you, I'm so excited even to share next week on a Psalm that has to do with the next generation. And I can't wait to, to preach that, I have missed doing that. But I wanna tell you just two very simple things before I close, one is next Saturday. We're going to be at the park. We're going to hang out. We're just going to be present in our community. We're going to remind the world that being a Christian also means being normal. Amen? Yeah, we know how to do that. All right. Uh, The other thing is if you're not rushed this morning, obviously getting your kids is important, right? But after you grab your kids, if you're not rushed, we just need just a little bit of help with some cleaning we're doing on the other side and some exciting kind of preparation we're doing on the other side with our kids space. And so, if you can help, can you just stick around as people go that way? Just in that corner over there, just in that back corner. And Dave here, our wonderful uh, worship director here, will meet you there and just a few instruction. If there's a few of us there. We can kind of just get things cleaned up and uh, get you get you home. Uh, good. Let me pray for us. Father, we have come to worship you, and now we leave as those who are filled with hearts to worship you every day this week. We thank you that the church is not just a building, it's not just a day, but it's us learning to worship you and to live by the gift of your grace. So help us as we do that and help us to pay attention to those in our lives who do not understand that you are a God that gives sleep to those you love. May they see in us a pace and a way of life that is truly an image of you having set us free. We thank you for the ways you're going to call us to new things. We thank you for Bethany and her her gift of sharing this morning. We pray that you would give her much rest and that you would remind her that you've used her and are using us to point others to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, love you all. See you soon. Bye-bye.